listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, our hosts are... Zach Jackson, UCC pastor in Reading, Pennsylvania, and my favorite anatomical euphemism is when Ruth exposes Boaz's feet in the Bible. Oh, you had to go for a Bible quote. Okay. Rachel Jackson, rabbi at Agudas Israel Congregation, Hendersonville, North Carolina, and my favorite anatomical euphemism comes from 51st States, where one of the characters says, I guess I prefer sausage to taco. Uh, Adam Pryor, I work at Bethany College in Lindsborg, Kansas. Uh, my favorite anatomical euphemism is hoo-ha. Uh, Ian Benz, Associate Professor of Elementary Science Education at UNC Charlotte. And my favorite euphemism is uh, cooter. And my stepmom actually used to call her nephews that to get their attention. She'd say, oh, come here, come here, little cooter. Come here, little cooter. And Anne and I had to pull her aside and explain what it meant. <laughs> she was mortified. It was wonderful. Kendra Holtmar, PhD candidate at Boston University. And my family was a little explicit and didn't use very many euphemisms. But when my uh, parents needed to go do their business, they would say that they're going to do the laundry. That's So that's two euphemisms in a row. Do their business and do the laundry. Yeah. That's well, the do the business right was more uh, me imposing that into the story. Right. Get their taxes done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tithe, baby. Okay. Itemize so. your deductions. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Yep. <laughs> Okay, you got, come on, man. You can't tell us that. And then like, what's up? Okay, all right. Um, so um, today uh, we're here to talk about uh, sex and sex education, or in many cases, sadly, the lack thereof with the sex education part. And so I wanted to read a quote um, from, from an article that I just found recently, and then kind of get into a few stories that were shared with us from some of our listeners, but also to ask each of us to share um, when we first learned about sex and sex ed, if we experienced, if we were in a school system that we experienced it or something. But so let me full first pull up something. Uh, this is from uh, the University of Southern California Department of Nursing. It's an article about America's sex education, how we are failing our students. So they point out that uh, when only 13 states in the nation require sex education to be medically accurate, a lot is left up to interpretation in teenage health literacy. Research published in the, by the Journal of Adolescent Health shows that when sex education is comprehensive, students feel more informed, make safer choices, and have healthier outcomes, resulting in fewer unplanned pregnancies and more protection against sexually transmitted diseases and infections. Sex, sex education is about life skills— said Elizabeth Nash, at the time Interim Associate Director of State Issues at the Guttmacher Institute. There are so many aspects you take with you for the rest of your life, but you only get it once or twice in school. So, of course, many young students pick up sexual health information from sources other than school, parents, peers, medical professionals, social media, and pop culture. However, public school is the best opportunity for adolescents to access formal information. So what happens when that information isn't regulated by the state? 
Teachers are left to interpret vague legislative guidelines, meaning information might not be accurate or unbiased. So there's our problem is that sex education is done differently around the country and the world, of course. But I have to admit, when I first read this thing and saw that at the time, at least only 13 states were mandated to have medically accurate sex education, just I was astonished. And so I immediately looked to see, okay, well, according to this chart, how is North Carolina doing? Um, And we are one of the states where sex education is mandated. And it is supposed to be medically accurate. It does include information on contraception. It does not include information on abstinence, apparently. But it does stress abstinence. Hmm. Um, There is nothing about, in in my state, at least North Carolina, mine and Rachel's state, sexual orientation inclusive or sexual orientation negative. There's nothing about any of that stuff, according to this information we have here. Um, Yeah, some of the states have nothing. And so I'm, what I wanted to do uh, was, you know, as I was, as I was saying, is to see if each of us could share anything we may remember about when we first started learning about sex, either in school or with parents or whatever, friends. And, and then I can also share some things from some of our listeners who, we, um, who shared their experiences with us as well. So who wants to go first? I can go first. Sure. I don't mind. Um, so a little bit of background. Um, in my formative years, my years of um, actual memories, right? I don't quite remember when I was itty-bitty, three, four years old, something like that, but mid-elementary school and on, um, both my parents were in the medical field, and my mom worked in a postpartum or labor and delivery field. So where babies come from um, and those conversations, I'm not going to say they were part and parcel of our household, but they weren't taboo either. Um, However, (laughs) having said all of that, we were not an open conversation kind of family when it came to anything dealing with, with sex. So there wasn't any religious reason not to, it was just really personal awkwardness. Um, around it. And my mom, frankly, being a bit jaded, I believe, right? This is, this is 40-year-old me looking back at my life 30-some years ago. I think she was a bit jaded based on what she saw in her profession. But I was in fourth grade, and um, right, she, my mom had to sign a permission slip for me to be gender separated in class to learn about what was going on. Um, this was in the early 90s early 90s, late 80s, something like that. Um, And so she said, hey, by the way, this is what's going to happen in this class. And I went, okay. Like, I was like, I don't want to be having this conversation with my mom either. It was so awkward. It was so awkward to the point where she knew it would be an awkward conversation and I'd want to run away. So she told me in the car on the freeway so I couldn't leave. Like, literally, she's (laughs) like, well, you can't jump out of the car. We're going 50 miles an hour, so you have to listen to this. Brilliant. And there was just sort of a comment of, you know, um, like, you know, boys have this and girls have this and boy just sticks it in there. There's like, that was it. (laughs) Just, just like plug it in a wall socket. Right. Like no love. (laughs) No no, finesse. No finesse. It was just like, (laughs) he sticks it in there. 
And then we get home. And really, this this was a very – I can't believe I'm actually sharing this, but I'm sharing this. We then get home, and um, she brings me down to my dad's office. We had a fairly large home, so my dad could have his own office. And she pulls a book off the shelf. Now, my dad never let me in his office. So this was like already like, oh, I'm in dad's office, and this is weird. And she pulls a book off the shelf, and she says, here, you can look in here if you have other questions. And it was the joy of sex. <sighs> wow. Now, right. I am a I am a shy, introverted, extremely gullible, extremely immature, physically immature, like I hadn't even thought about puberty, uh, socially immature, like every possibility of immature, fourth grader, and I'm handed with no instruction, no conversation, the book The Joy of Sex. And that was my intro to sex ed. So what did you learn from the book? I mean, share the insights. (laughs) Um, It's not a good book is what I learned. It's got some graphic pictures, stick figure pictures um, or drawing pictures that kind of show positions. But it's it's so cold. So it was just like a Kama Sutra type of... But worse. No, no, no. But Kama Sutra at least have has intimacy. And that's, that's, what, that's what I learned at that age. I did not learn anything about intimacy or love or consent or friendship or anything that goes in with the act of having sex. It was simply an act, an animalistic act, just like eating, hmm. right? Like, here is how you eat. You take a fork, you put it on food, you put the food in your mouth. Here is how you have sex. You take this object and you put it in this place. Like there was there was <laughs> nothing more than that. Sausage and taco, remember. Sausage and have, taco. And I think that's why I relate right? to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I could keep talking. I have so many stories, um, but I want to hear other stories too. Well, mine was just as awkward, and my dad is a listener of the show, so I'm sorry, Dad, if um, <laughs> if you're listening to this one, maybe just fast forward. But what I remember was being, uh, a, I don't remember exactly how old, but at the dinner table, my older sister called my dad a jerk-off because she had heard it somewhere, <laughs> and he got really upset and uh, mm-hmm. sent her to her room, and then later came to me and said, I have to explain why that word is particularly bad. And so then he uh, very awkwardly basically said, um, explained the concept of masturbation in that some people pleasure themselves and sometimes they use material to of naked material. pictures of people to get it <laughs> excited and it was very you had not thought this through this was something that was off the cuff and it was pretty obvious we were both pretty uncomfortable and he said um i know you've heard a lot about sex probably from your friends and from you know, television and stuff um so instead of going through it all do you have any questions for me and I was like, oh, my God, he's giving me an out. This is great. And I said, no, thank you. I'm good. I know it all. 
And he was like, good, we had a good talk. You can always come talk with me. And I said, great. And in my head, I said, I will never come talk to you because this was really weird and awkward. And so I got all of my information about what sex is and, and how it works through Microsoft Encarta 95, which came with, uh, with Windows 95 in those days. You all ever use Encarta? It was like oh yeah the encyclopedia program that came with Windows yes and I'd be no. like I heard this word and uh, what is an orgasm and then would like type it into the to the search and read through and be like hmm indeed interesting this this is how you know a, a nine year old nerd learns <laughs> about right. how how sex is because I went to a fundamentalist Christian school all of my life and so we never talked about it in school other than the true love weights separate the boys and girls and show them pictures of STDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't don't touch each other. Don't do anything because you'll go to hell and you'll get STDs and you'll get pregnant and everyone will die and no one will love you anymore. Um, and so I Ooh. have all of that purity culture baggage that I still carry with me. <laughs> um, so my I, all that to say, my sex education was uh, self-taught through Microsoft Encarta and awkward and based on purity culture. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in real quick there. I went to a public school um, my whole life next to or in Colorado Springs, which um, our middle school and high school was literally across the street from Focus on the Family Headquarters in this like massive oh. place. And yeah. so while it was a public school and I was not Christian, the sex ed that I received was completely abstinence only purity culture kind of sex ed when I got it in middle school and high school too. So hmm. just want to add that, that you don't have to go to a fundy school to get that same sort of brainwashing. Kendra, Adam, what about either of you? What were your experiences like? Um, mine was, uh, well, just as a, a reminder for our, our listeners, I grew up in Texas, so <coughs> went to a private Christian school most of my K through 12 years, um, with the exception of a brief stint at a public school in my junior year of um, high school, but that was because my dad got a new job and that's another story. Anyway, most of my K through 12 years, private Christian school, sex ed is abstinence only. I remember in fifth fifth or sixth grade, like around that time, there was, uh, it's kind of a vague memory, but I, I just know that I showed up to school and the boys and girls were separated and we were going to watch a video during gym class about like puberty or sex or something like who knew it was all so mysterious and I remember um, very few details of the video except that um, parents were very upset after that day of school and um, I just like I don't know it didn't really seem like that interesting of a video to me which leads me to believe that it probably didn't really teach us very much (laughs) Um, like it might have been a little bit more about like basic puberty than anything that had to do with like sex ed but it it was called sex ed Um, and it was just the one 
afternoon in gym class. And um, yeah, the the parents were apparently very upset that we were, uh, I guess, shown that in class without parents being notified. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of my like official sex ed, which is to say that it was pretty non-existent. Um, but my family is very open about talking about sex. Um, it's one of the like stark differences of my and my husband's families is that my family, they just say things. And sometimes you wish they didn't say them. <laughs> and Chad's family, they don't say things ever <laughs> um, about <laughs> sex and anatomy. Um, so my uh, my because of that though my my mom was always uh, always very explicit to like me and my sisters that if we ever had any questions we should come to her because she doesn't um, you know she knows that we're hearing things at school and with our friends but there's a lot of like bad info out there and so if we needed to know something we shouldn't be afraid to ask her. And I I also just remember this one conversation with my mom where <laughs> she was like, yeah, just, you know, if you ever want to see a picture of a penis, just like let me know and we can look <laughs> it up together and, you know, look at it and talk about it. And, it's amazing. you know, I just want you huh. to like huh. know, know what, what it is. And because I think this was also the thing, the dynamics of my family... I grew up with sisters and my mom and my dad worked and was like traveling a lot. So there's just like a lot of um, uh, a lot of natural openness, I guess, to talk about sex because there weren't there. We were like a mostly like woman space <laughs> in the, the like no brothers. There was like mm. no, um, you know, no reason to like hide these conversations because of brothers around the corner you know like my mom was just like yeah whatever you want to see a penis sure let's look it up um so uh yeah that that was like the vibe at home but I also had a lot like once I got into middle school and high school there was a series uh like a sex ed I don't, I don't know that they called it sex ed but it was um oh man what's the book Zach, maybe you know, uh, what is it called? Every every man's desire, or every woman's need. You know this series, this like sex ed purity culture book? I don't. I, uh, our sex ed was just don't do it. Okay, I, well. I don't think there was much more than that. I, it'll come to me, but there was like a well-known series that was written for like one book was for men, one was for women. And when we were in youth group, we did a series on these books and the boys and girls would be separated and we would go learn about our respective genders like sex. <laughs> but it was kind of it was one of those things where those classes for the girls, at least, were often like, OK, we're going to make a list of all the qualities that we want in our future husbands and then it was only when we had like sleepovers for the youth group and all the girls would like find the book at our um, counselor's bookshelf and take it down and then flip to the back of the index and find the word masturbation. And then we'd be like, ooh, ha, ha, let's look up what that is. And like, you know, <laughs> look at the more scandalous um, sexual terminology because 
Hmm. We didn't necessarily like talk too much about that in the actual class at church. So it was just like a very interesting kind of strange like mishmash of of things. But the general vibe and like the general consensus in the air was absolutely uh, abstinence only. And I also had like purity, uh, like true love weights, jewelry and signed like commitment cards and all of that in youth group and had like a whole ceremony with your parents who came. And yeah, so that was uh, basically my experience. Interesting. Adam, what about you? Yeah, uh, I had to think about this. Like, so in school, we had sex education twice, once in fifth grade and once in 10th grade. And fifth grade was, for lack of a better way to put it, like mechanics. And 10th grade was like, uh, here are all the horrible things that could happen to you if you have sex. So it wasn't quite abstinence only, but it was presented as abstinence is the way in which you can avoid these things that might happen. Um, so it's like a it's a little bit of like a weird sort of hybrid thing. Um, I think the only thing that was like particularly weird about my fifth grade experience is that my aunt was also my fifth grade teacher. Oh. So like I learned sex ed from my aunt, um, which I guess maybe some people would find weird, but like it was actually in some ways very reassuring. Um, if I, if I like think back about it, because also like there was never a point for me where like those were forbidden topics. My mom was a pediatric nurse and I learned sex ed from my aunt. So <clears throat> conversations were frank, uh, as needed. Um, and also right. Hindsight being 2020, 20, my, um, one of my, my uncles was, was openly gay. Um, mm. and so for a kid doing sex ed in the early nineties, I think my conversations were probably not typical. Um, and I say that I feel like with some particular confidence as my oldest son is now in fifth grade. And I think the sex ed curriculum he got was less progressive than what I got you know, 20 years ago, 25 wow. years ago. So for me growing up in, um, Germany on the military base, you know, we, uh, ours was pretty forthcoming on information. I mean, it, yes, we was talking about mechanics, but we, I remember, I think it was fifth grade and sixth grade. We really started talking a lot about, um, you know, they did the separate the boys and the girls and talk about puberty and stuff like that. And then we would learn about the opposite sex. And then we got into conversations around um, what it uh, meant to have sex and con different um, contraceptive options that we would have. And then I remember a nurse, a school nurse, demonstrating how to put a condom on a banana. That one always stuck with all of us because we all thought that was pretty funny. Um 
I remember too talking about we got into conversations around um, STDs and how they would test for STDs because you know all the boys were sitting together and all the girls were sitting together and they talked about um, I remember this very vividly that they would take like this little metal hook thing and insert it into the penis and like scrape it to test for certain types of diseases and all of us did exactly what Kendra's just did of just oh and just kind of like you know almost wanted to get in the fetal position and we all were screaming and stuff and um and then actually several years later that did happen to one of my friends from like middle school um and so i just remember us talking about that a lot um but it, it was all focused around hetero sex mm-hmm. right we we did not get into um talking about gender uh we did not get into um you know, talking about um, homosexual activity or anything like that. I don't really remember getting into at least specifically around masturbation or pleasure or anything like that. Um, I don't recall conversations of consent. It may have come up, but I just don't recall that. Um, I do remember, though, that we would have a, a a Q&A time where, you know, all the boys were in a room and we could ask the, the teacher who was a male, uh, questions. And so he would uh, be forthcoming and, and share information. And so, and I think the girls had the same thing, but yeah, that was kind of our experience or my experience growing up too, which I thought was interesting, but it stuck, but kind of like with Kendra, my family was, we just talked about stuff. You know, if I had questions, we talked about it. Um, but I wanted to share just a couple from some of the, the listeners. Um, you know, I re- reached out, uh, on, our Facebook group and just asked for some uh, thoughts from people. Uh, one individual, and of course I will not use any names, um, uh, indicated uh, this, this uh, individual's um, group in Mississippi and mentioned that uh, she was never given the sex talk until after she had her first period. I was never talked to about how my body would change and the sex talk consisted of my dad saying so and then becoming very awkward. And she said she responded with, oh, is this the sex talk? Yes, Dad, I know not to have sex until I'm married. And that was good enough. Um, she said it seemed like the parents and adults in that community around her were afraid to even say the word sex. Mm. Um, another listener uh, who, who's an older listener um, kind of talked about uh, there are things growing up he did not. You just don't talk about it in school. Um, he said, it, it, <laughs> as I recall, much was based on. DIY exploration and discussions with peers who knew little more than I did. In spite of this closet approach, sex was a dominant factor, even from an early age. Well, um, you should also mention what era that. Yes, that this person was in the thirties. Yes. Back in the thirties, um, which I thought was very interesting. A friend of mine now, you know, I'm just going to kind of jump around, um, talked about uh, no one ever explained anything to her except uh, that she should feel ashamed and hide anything. Um, She said, when I was in uh, seventh grade, a neighborhood kid told her that if you touched yourself, you would have AIDS, and that she ran home crying to her mother saying that, oh, I I just learned I have AIDS. And because of that, her mother shared a few things with her, um, but not much, but she mostly had to figure out things on her own and, and always had said that she felt some, some sense of shame around it, that people would imply shame if you talk about sex. 
Um, and not even just the mechanics, right? I mean, shame around that, but any kind of exploration or pleasure or, you know, anything like that, if that was brought up, that was shameful. So, yeah, I just, um, as I said, I think it's interesting for us to just have a conversation about this. And one of the things I would love for us to do as well, and I kind of got this from a, when Adam and I were just talking on the phone a couple weeks ago about what this could look like when we talk about comprehensive sex education. Because, you know, initially when I was thinking about it, you know, I have 10 year old twins, boy, girl twins, and they're now in fourth grade. Um, and we got a message a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago now, indicating that we had to sign something stating that they were going to be learning about um, puberty next week. Um, and all parents had to sign it. It wasn't just an opt out thing. You had to opt in as well which part of me really does have a, a hard time with that because I, I want them to have that information. I get why it's done societally to do, you know, we have these things because people are bothered and it, um, felt shameful around it, which I think is one of the main issues hmm. that we have when it comes to talking about sex is that shame thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just curious, you know, you know, it'd be awesome if we came up with something and then everyone said, yeah, let's do that. But um, <laughs> in a conversation with Adam, you know, he, he kind of mentioned and then talking with others, too. And then also hearing from another one of our listeners who was a guest at one point um, talked about, um, you know, 35, grew up funding, went to public schools, bisexual and trans. Uh, this person's experience uh, was absence focus. They did talk about condoms and birth control, but made it sound like they weren't effective. And I'd get a pregnant pregnant and STI. And of course, uh, showed explicit pics of the worst case scenario, by the way, which I definitely remember seeing those as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Me too. And that actually would get an SCI if this individual even looked at a penis. Um, we had them showing on an overhead projector. Oh, with the yeah. Transparency slides. Yep. yep. Yes. They didn't acknowledge the existence of same sex attraction nor discuss gender at all. Um, so, you know, my body was described as a girl's body, and I was sent to the girl's lesson on puberty. And then, of course, in church, didn't discuss it at all. Um, and so that's kind of, and then the idea around promise rings, purity culture, which I actually had never even heard of growing up on a military base overseas until um, I was here in college, or maybe it was even after college, and someone made a comment about purity culture. And I was kind of like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I had no idea. And then mm-hmm. someone having to explain to me what that meant and signing pledges. And then, of course, you hear the anecdotes of people signing pledges about, yes, I will not have sex until marriage. And then those individuals, um, sometimes in those situations, the individual ends up pregnant um, before they're married. Um, and then, you know, you have to have that conversation. And so to me, it was always a, well, people are going to do that anyway, biologically. People have that urge and desire. And so why not? prepare them for it yeah like that's just my mindset i think for me one of the things you pointed out is the shame concept um And one of the ways that I believe we can do that is helping parents talk to their children as young children, Mm -hmm. right? That we must start very young with body positivity and 
Correct. I know that we asked the question, asked and answered the question of, you know, anatomical euphemisms, but I'll be perfectly honest. So my, my son's now seven and from infancy, we have used the correct language. We have mm-hmm. used the language that is your scrotum, that is your penis, your anus, your butt, because the anus and the butt are not the same thing. We have used the same sort of with with girls. We don't call it a vagina. We call it a labia. Or like, what are you actually seizing? Using the correct terminology without feeling awkward, without feeling overwhelmed or embarrassed by it as the adults, which can then communicate that emotion and remove those issues. And then to also address what little kids do, which is most little kids explore. Most little kids go, well, that felt good. Let me do it some more. Right. And say, oh, no, never do that. Never do that. Never like, like make it put boundaries on it. You know, if you need to touch your penis, please do so in the bathroom or your bedroom. Or just simple statements, which I've definitely said in my household. um, You know, we don't touch our penis at the dinner table. I just straight up statement. Like it's, I'm not shaming this. Like I like the Royal we. Yeah. (laughs) The Royal we is so amazing when I don't have those body parts. Um, It is, it's definitely um, like, I have to myself be like, don't be awkward about this. Be his parent. And what Mm. does he need? How can I teach him body positively? Not don't let my issues of my body or my husband's issues of his make that an issue for him. Right. Like, make myself grow up so that I can teach the next generation better. So I think for me, that's one. Not all parents are comfortable doing that. So having resources at doctor's offices, at the school, at religious organizations, at community organizations. So here we have like a community resource center and they offer classes for kids, you know, for parents who are kids of Classes for parents who have children that are elementary aged or tweens, and they talk about different things at different stages and what's age appropriate. And so I think that's that's one education standpoint, but it does start at, starts at home, not waiting until fourth grade, because if you wait until fourth grade, some people are hitting puberty the next year. Um, yep. So that's that's one. Um the other the other thought that I had um is also making it a holistic experience. Why are we separating out sex from our bodies and sex from pleasure or intimacy and love and friendship and all of those things, including with oneself? So acknowledging, I see that that feels good for you. Here's the boundaries. (laughs) Like, I see that that feels good for you. Please don't do that while we're playing backgammon. That is right. Enjoy yourself on your time, right? And and talking about it, and talking about love is love, and talking about why we don't go to Chick Fil A because they don't like people. They they do things that hurt people based on who they love, and that's not okay. And we've been talking about that since he was four or three, right? Like we want so. So allowing for all conversations around gender and around sexuality and not having them be separate from our lived experience. And I think when we talk about those things to children, we ourselves can understand them and we start to remove any of the shame that we might have grown up with um, and start to change society in those small ways. And to 
in both of those, uh, to, to speak to both of those, the uh, United Church of Christ and the Unitarian Universalists have put together a curriculum called Our Whole Lives that is a, uh, a, sexu- a sex ed curriculum that can be used in churches or in families. And it starts with a kindergarten curriculum. And I think most people hear that there's a sex ed curriculum that starts in kindergarten and they go, oh, these liberals that are ruining everything and destroying the world. But the sorts of things that you talk about with a kindergarten are exactly what you're talking about, Rachel. Mm -hmm. It's about um, who are you? Um, what do you like to do? What do you love? And it's nothing sexual. It's about identifying you as an individual, as a person who is worthy of love and worthy of respect and somebody who then can practice things like bodily autonomy and consent, teaching people to see others the way that you see yourself so that you don't you know, pull down so-and-so's pants on the playground because you wouldn't want that to happen to you. And so as the curriculum grows, it grows into like, what do families look like? Some families look different than other families. And that's great. There's adopted, there's same-sex partners, there's single parents, there's all these things. And then it moves on once we're done with your identity and who you are and your autonomy, then we start thinking about romance. And then there's a like, Uh, We don't get to the, here's the mechanics of the thing for a while. It, we get there once we have grounded it in, um, in consent, in love, in relations, in uh, a blessed sense of autonomy and the understanding of sexuality and our bodies themselves as being a gift of God. Um, We are one of three creatures in the world for whom sex is pleasurable. As far as we can tell, it's humans, bonobos, and dolphins seem to be the only ones who have sex for fun. So actually, that's how bonobos settle their conflicts. Like I think I mentioned this before, our two closest living relatives are chimpanzees and bonobos. Chimps solve their conflict through violence and bonobos through sex. So that's... Put them together and we are people. Um, according to the United Church of Christ, um, there's a wonderful statement. And one of them says that the purposes of sexuality are to enhance human wholeness and fulfillment, to express love, commitment, delight, and pleasure, to bring new life into the world, and to give glory to God. Which, obviously, the last part is pretty specific to those, to those who are uh, theistic, um, especially those who are Christians. But... I, um, I, I, now that I am a UCC minister, I read through this and I think, oh, I would probably have a much more holistic understanding of the dangers and the mechanics and the relationships and all those things that go with it if it were grounded in something that was good and holy instead of something that was awful and scary and terrifying. You know, like being told that, uh, you can't eat bread because it might kill you your whole life. And so you never eat bread and you just smell bread and it smells great. But your parents keep telling you if you eat bread, you're going to die. And you might sneak a pretzel here and there um, because your friends are having a pretzel, but you feel bad about it later because it's kind of bread. And then one day 
you meet somebody and you love them and you want to spend the rest of your life together and somebody tells you, okay, well, after your wedding, we're just going to have bread. And it's just going to be bread, a bread buffet, and you're just going to eat all the bread in the world. And don't worry, now it's safe. It, you're not going to be able to enjoy the bread. It's going to be, <laughs> you're going to be like, I don't, I feel guilty. I feel like I shouldn't be eating this bread right now. now all, all I see is bread everywhere. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love this analogy. Explain yeah. to people from a young age like how bread is made and why it's why it's, it's so wonderful. Food. And then teach them to spot <laughs> bread molds. I missed that. What did you say? <laughs> I said it's a sometimes food. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bread is a sometimes food, depending mm. on your relationship. <laughs> um so I and and I want to hear from, obviously, both Adam and Kendra, too. But it made me remember something. When I was a high school science teacher, I taught uh, ninth grader science. And it was uh, I remember uh, learning um, of some students, uh, I was primarily girls, overhearing them at one point talking about, how many boys have you done that to on the bus? And I later on learned they were talking about blowjobs. Um, but they didn't say that, but they were talking about the fact that, um, well, and it's not sex. It's okay to do that. And um, there would be, you know, these other st- older students would tell me that if you saw students with like a bunch of different color um, bracelets on their on their <laughs> wrists, that that indicated what they were willing to do, um, you know, to uh, boys. It's primarily girls wearing them is what they would always talk about. Um, I mean, it was just, and again, stuff that I just never really heard growing up about how many people have you done this to on the bus and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of was like, whoa. Um, and and their complete misunderstanding around what that meant, um, the, you know, you always hear about misconceptions around sex and pregnancy, which I know we'll get into pregnancy uh, with the next episode, Rachel, that you're leading. Um, but that, you know, oh, well, the first time you have sex, you can't get pregnant. It's not possible. Um, just lots of different things that, you know, I'm just always a, if we teach the accurate information from the beginning, and I love, Rachel, what you're saying about respecting our bodies and body positivity from the very beginning. Um, I, I fully support that. I think it's a great idea. Kendra, Adam, what are your thoughts? I I just wanted to, um, uh, first off, I just want to plug uh, some work by um, a person who, she does uh, a lot of work on like sex differences and has written a lot and done a lot of public speaking, created a documentary about um, intersex people and mm. particularly okay. intersex people who... Um, are like in 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 the church somehow, or like trying to maintain their Christian faith while feeling um, like unwelcomed. And you know, there's just like so many really interesting um, stories about people who don't even know that they're intersex until they're like adults, because there are a lot of different uh, ways to be intersex. Um, so anyway, her name's uh, Megan DeFranza, and. Uh, the the documentary is called Stories of Intersex and Faith. And yeah, if you um, look her up, you'll find 
the documentary and other things that she's written. Um, but what I think is just so great about that kind of work is that um, it it requires uh, a sex education that totally rethinks the binary between male and female. And that's not only mm. beneficial for intersex people and for trans people, but like that helps everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I just think that it's just a much more honest, open and like accurate representation of sex development, which is like not it, it, sex, de- human sex development is so complicated. And yeah, there are a lot of people that like fit into the binary, but it, it's like you just miss so much if you mm. just think in terms of, uh, you know, penis vagina. <laughs> um, and and so, yeah, I, I just think that there's so much that we gain by, um, you know, totally rethinking the paradigm of sex education to to be inclusive of non-heteronormative bodies and, mm-hmm. and, and that that is beneficial. Like I said, beneficial beyond like being inclusive of those people. It's also um, more beneficial and expansive for people who do fit in the, you know, like heteronormative uh, framework because our bodies are just so complicated. And it's really interesting um, to think about the way that sex has been defined and that it, you know, it, it makes sense that it seems really straightforward um, when the way that we talk about it in, in society, but like sex, you can define sex by genitalia you can define sex by hormones you can define it by chromosomes like it's not something that's just fallen out of the sky and has been the same thing over time and um it just i i i really look forward to the day where that's like more of the norm is that we are thinking in terms of uh, a spectrum of human sexuality and that mm-hmm. that becomes the foundation upon which our sex education curriculum is built mm-hmm. because it just is better for everyone. And and I think that also a, a connected point is that, uh, you know, a, a sex education can really pay more attention to uh, like penis anatomy, like man men's bodies and um, leave out the way that like women's bodies work or like the way that a vagina and a clitoris and all of these things work. And so you have women who are in their adult bodies and still don't understand the anatomy of their own genitalia. Um, like I, I know people who have not been able to um, correctly identify what's down below until after they've had children. Like post-pregnancy being in the hospital and having to like doctors having to explain like what their parts are and Hmm. it's just like that is a huge failure of sex education and I think that's a lot more common of an experience for women to have um than for for men to have and um you know also just like the issues of shame that are wrapped up in not only uh, sex, but like menstruation. And I I definitely remember in middle school and high school that it was like, 
even just going to the bathroom, like in the girls' bathroom, you still had to be quiet because you didn't want to like crinkle your tampon wrapper right. because you didn't want anyone like, to hear that you were opening. Yeah, it. it's like OMG, someone's really? on their oh, period, yeah. and it, this is like such a such a uh, an issue that the girls wanted to avoid that like marketing figured this out and started creating a tampon that was wrapped in a quiet, non-crinkly material so that you could very quietly open your tampon. Discreet packaging. Yeah. And I just remember like that, like at the time it was just like, oh yeah, that's just what you do. You want to be as quiet as possible. But now I just, it's like kind of crazy that that was like such a, such an embarrassment. And I also know that like even, um, you know, my, as I said before, like my background coming from, um, you know, the like purity culture, abstinence only, that there was a lot that I didn't know about just like products available for women uh, to like manage menstruation, menstruation until I was an adult. And then like started learning about like, oh yeah, you don't have to use just tampons you can use like menstrual cups and like all these other things that are just like <sighs> thank you to the people who created these these products for for us but uh it just was um you know there was i think in grad school i had a couple of friends who were just you know sort of like these wild people <laughs> just like loved talking about vaginas loved talking about like period blood like loved <laughs> so i Anytime I was in a conversation with these friends in particular, I, I thought I like thought that I knew most most everything about that. But then I would like always learn something new. I was like, wow, did not know that. Need to go do some research. <laughs> um, yeah. So so yeah, I just think like there's. I think it's like important for boys to know that too. Like the gender separation is something that I just like. I I get it. But also, I don't know, like, I've never had to teach sex ed, so it would be interesting to talk to actual sex ed, sex educators. But I just, I think that boys should understand vaginas and girls should understand penises. I know, Adam, you were going to go in a minute real quick. I just, well, you were going to share your thoughts. But one thing I wanted to point out is from what I understand, and, and I, I'll be honest, you know, I've not done a lot of research on it, but that the idea, at least in North Carolina, of the curriculum is that, you know, in fourth grade, boys learn about uh, puberty, you know, with boys, girls learn about it with girls, and then they, in the next grade, they swap. Now, this says not, this does not address, this is not inclusive, obviously, and there is a big concern with that. But the hope is, is that, and you know, in fifth grade, John will learn about what's going on with his sister um, or what will happen and vice versa. Right. But we, Ann and I are both aware that it, we will have to supplement what it is they're going to learn. Yeah. Because I want them to have respect for their own bodies and for others. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things we, they have talked, they've sometimes have talked about like seeing people naked or, or touching um, parts and stuff like that, they'll say. And, and we always say that, well, you know, if no one's allowed to touch you, 
and the way, you know, we use more guarded language. And so we'll say, you know, no one's allowed to touch you there or anything, you know, or no one should be touching you where you don't want to be touched. Uh, and so, you know, that's, if you're not allowing that, you, you know, so we get into the notion of consent a little bit, but, um, Adam, what are your thoughts? We have not heard a whole lot from you. I think the piece that I think about when I think about like in an ideal world, what would sex education like include going forward? I mean, I, I think I would echo some of the things that Zach said about the Our Whole Lives curriculum because I just think it's so well designed. Um, and this idea that like you base sex ed in relationships first in order to create a positive vision um, of a holistic understanding of bodies and their relationships to each other is, I think, really, really important. Um, I think the other piece for me is just personally... I want <laughs> I want a sex ed curriculum that's based on a theoretical foundation as robust as what Judith Butler has provided for academia. Um so Judith Judith Butler maybe more than any other rhetorical scholar deconstructed the relationship between sex and gender such that you could rebuild it um in ways that don't build normative binaries on top of uh, the bodies and experiences of folks who don't fit the structure of those normative binaries. Um, and the work that she did was was deeply controversial. And, and even today, there are folks who think you know well, she went she kind of went too far. And in science and religion dialogue, um, and, and even just philosophy of science dialogue. Right. There, there are folks who are like, well, her deconstruction of sex is really problematic. And I don't think so. Um, I, I think actually what she did was really clear ground to reconfigure the way we have a conversation around sex and gender identity. Um, so I, I think if I could think about like, what would I want specifically in a sex ed curriculum, it would be three things. One, it would absolutely have to be not based on cisgendered heteronormative frameworks, period. I don't care who you are. If you're a fifth grader, you should be learning about gay sex. That is the line that I hope sticks from this whole thing. Uh, two. Um, so this, the second thing would be that I think it should be a curriculum based on body positivity uh, and, and an understanding that having conversations about bodily identity in America particularly is really really wrapped up in unhealthy ways of conceptualizing sexualization. I'm reminded of this because as I've been like, like we were joking before we started talking, right? That like 
I, I watch my television shows while I'm riding my bicycle. And, and so like lately I've been watching James Bond movies and I'm like, these are awful. <laughs> like, like this is like what sex ed shouldn't be. And I think it's like in the background of every sex ed teacher's mind. I, I, I just, I'm like, every, like I watch it and I'm like, I both love to watch this as pure horror and comedy. And also I'm like, this is a little too like real about what people think sex is. And I'm like, <clears throat> so anyway, so, um, fifth graders should learn about gay sex. Um, James Bond should not be allowed in sex ed classes. And the, I think the third piece for me that I would want to have in there are some, I, I, okay. This maybe isn't a little out of left field, but I really think there should be clergy and sex ed classes. Um, and I don't mean that in the like, like, let me just say, I don't want all clergy there. There's some clergy here. <laughs> exclude. Looking at you, Zach and Rachel. I don't want to be there. I'll be there. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I think it's the fact that we make sex taboo that is really troubling. And, and we make sex this sort of mystical structure that no one can talk about and that it's, it's, it's opaque and you'll discover it one day when you get old enough and everyone feels more comfortable about it then. But even then, we're not really going to talk about it in ways that anyone wants to. Um, and I'm like, you know, the other thing that sounds like that to me is God. Hmm. Um, and we have a whole group of people, ostensibly, in this country who are like, you know, educated clergy who are supposed to help facilitate difficult conversations about the most opaque concept there is. And so there's part of me that goes like, I, I think there's something that the role of pastoral care has a place to play in sex education. Completely agree. So like, you know, not the like purity ring craziness of like evangelical sex hangups, but like a robust sense of pastoral care is like part of what I would want in sex ed classes. So to recap, fifth graders should learn about gay sex. James Bond should not be allowed in sex ed classes. And instead I want pastors and religious clergy to educate you about condom races. <laughs> I got to say, Adam, that didn't go where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say condom races? I, that's what I thought he said. Yeah. What is yeah, that? Yeah, condom races. You wait. You, you guys didn't do condom races? Okay. No. Did you not hear the first part of this episode? Remember, <laughs> 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 zero <laughs> sex ed. Yeah. We did Bible drills, not condom races. I thought that the well, the condom over condom the banana race. was just a thing that people did in TV shows. <laughs> no, 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 we did no, no, that. No. <laughs> we got so, like, that you as get, part of our sex ed. So. Yeah, you get it. You get in a line. And there's one banana, and everybody in the line has to put a condom onto the banana, and the line that finishes first wins. It's a condom race. <laughs> so wait, you put them on top of each other? Yeah, you can. And like, so like the other part of the condom race is you can see how many condoms you can put on top of other condoms. And when did you experience this? Uh, I don't know. We did this in tenth uh, grade. Okay, yeah, so I've seen someone do it, but I've never done it myself. 
I, I, I will say, like, I think this is the part where I'm like, like, if you really want a robust sex education curriculum, it's got to be hands on, too. Like, yeah. it's not enough to tell people, like, what a condom is. Like, they need to know how to use it. Yep. Hmm. Right? So, like, and also, let's be clear, the first time you use a condom, it's weird and awkward. Right? Nobody, like, prepares you for the fact, like, hey, it's sexy time. And then all of a sudden, like, wait, five-minute break. I got to get this open and figure out how also to <laughs> put it upon myself. <laughs> so... Before I jump off, I need to, uh, or I don't need to. I wanted to um, leave my final statement with the consent. Please, because we are at a, we are at the end. So in two thousand something, I can't remember. Um, I think it was two thousand fifteen. Um, I'll put it in the link. And by the way, these different, if you are a listener or if you are a listener who knows somebody that needs these resources, we will have them in our show notes, including this amazing curriculum and Mm -hmm. other resources. And of course, if there's things that we've talked about that you want more from us, just send us something on Facebook or send us an email and um, we'll help you out with all this stuff. But there was a YouTube video that was, um, yeah, 2015 called Tea and Consent. Equating the saying of yes or no of sex or really anything else to a cup of tea. If someone does not explicitly say yes to having a cup of hot tea, you don't give them a cup of hot tea. Right. And it's this amazing video of it's not say it's not no means no. It's a yes is what consent means. You actually have to say yes. Right. If someone says no, well, are you sure? Are you sure? Right. Well, but you were giggling when you said that, right? That consent means yes, right? Let's frame it in the positive. Yes, I want this. Yes, I am positive. Yes, this is okay. Really? And if that, if that is not said, then it's a no, just like tea, drinking tea, right? And it's, it's this really great place, again, for us to reframe our thinking. And that's our challenge. Our challenge is to reframe not just the education, but why we're saying the things we're saying and to make people on an equal footing where yes means yes. And so that that's just one thing that I really want to say for consent, that that is a place where we can all grow and um, really allow any gendering or any imbalance that we see to hopefully have oh, to go to make it go away because there's the things that we didn't talk about I'm glad we didn't talk about right the the sort of ills um that come along with sex um but to me consent is one of those places where we really just need to reframe our thinking hmm. so that's yeah. that's the thing so I'll add number four to Adams right yes means hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs>